Um, better than having my mic on when I go to the bathroom, so that's, that's good. I'm glad it was only during a song. Um, well, I, um, it is good to be with you. It has come to my attention that in this community, uh, there is a need for a support group. I missed this need for many years. Um, but after Wednesday's chapel, it has occurred to me, as several have come to me, that there are several in our midst who injured themselves when they were children uh, trying to be a superhero. Uh, uh, for me, as my wife so embarrassingly, um, or at least embarrassed me, uh, by telling the story of when I was four, leaping off the picnic table trying to fly like Shazam, and ended up breaking my arm, um, Derek Plant, Professor Plant, I feel I can share this, he shared it with me in confidence, but I just feel the Holy Spirit says <laughs> that, um, I just feel the Lord says, you know, Derek doesn't want you to share it, but I do. Um, when he was about five or six, he was running around the classroom, and uh, like he was flying, you know, running around, and just ducked his head, and for some reason, he thought he could fly through his teacher's desk, uh, and got six stitches, I think is what he said. Uh, and then there were a couple other students who tried to be superheroes and uh, were injured. I won't mention students' names. I won't break that bond of confidence like I just broke with the faculty. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I just so you know, we are praying for you and we'll gather together for an accountability and support group soon. Um, but it is, uh, it is good to be with you. We're in the season of Lent and um, the Lenten journey begins with Ash Wednesday, which for us was over, uh, which was over spring break. And... Um, about 50 or 60 of you pick up a devotional that we were giving out to anyone that was interested called Ashes to Fire. And I know some churches here are following the lectionary calendar and even using Ashes to Fire uh, as they journey through the season of Lent into Easter and even into Pentecost. Um, and so as I was using that devotional, one text um, that jumped out at me in the Monday morning reading was Luke 18, if you want to follow along, Luke 18, verses 9 through 14, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And uh, for the next four or five times I preach during Lent, uh, we'll probably use a text from, this, uh, from the church calendar. But the Lenten journey really begins with a repentance, a, a remorse, um, being a sorry and repenting for your sins. And um, as we begin this journey to the cross, uh, to Easter, you know, to, to Good Friday, and then on to Easter, and then to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends upon his church. But our gospel lesson today, again, is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. And it's a familiar text to many of you, I'm sure. It's one of those texts I remember coming across in the church calendar at different times and just kind of skipping over it because it's so familiar. And while we all know what the meaning is, um, and that's a real mistake to do that. So this is actually the first time I've, I've preached from this text. And so even though many of you are familiar with it, let's see if we look a little closer and, and, and maybe the Lord has a word for us this morning. As we read the gospel this morning, will you please stand for the reading of his word? Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been spoken. By the power of your Holy Spirit, will you apply it to our hearts and lives that we might become more like Christ in our daily walk. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. When we go to familiar texts, really when we go to any text, we really need to see what the surrounding context is, what is happening surrounding that text, what is happening before, what is happening after. What are some themes that we might be jumping into the midst of? And if we do that, sometimes we can come to a better better understanding and appreciate the text a little more, come to a deeper understanding. And so a few things we need to point out is, uh, first of all, that in this section of, of Luke's Gospel, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and in 17, verse 21, we read, Look, here it is, there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus, as Edie actually talked about on Wednesday, the woman at the well was standing in the very presence of the Messiah. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of God is with us now through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we talked about in Pentecost. And so we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, must be part of God continuing to move His kingdom forward until He returns. The kingdom of God has already come, but it is not yet completed. We know that in the end God wins and victory is secure, but now as Christians, as followers of Christ, we must allow God to use us to the fullest, surrendering our lives to Him so that the kingdom continues to move forward until He returns. So what does that look like? If we see poverty, it is not only just feeding someone, though that is important, a a compassionate ministry that is very important, so we must feed those who who are hungry and clothe those who are naked. But then as people of God, as children of God, moving forward the kingdom of God, he doesn't want poverty at all, so we as Christians must ask, why is that person hungry in the first place, and is there anything that we can do so they are no longer hungry? Are there systems and structures in place that we must break down as Christians so that the kingdom of God continues to move forward? If there is a, a reconciliation that is needed, we as Christians must be reconcilers. We are reconciled to God, one-on-one, our relationship to God, but now we must be reconciled to one another. And so in this entire section, we see that, that they're talking about the kingdom of God. And, and here in uh, chapter 18 especially, we see Jesus giving specific examples of what people of the kingdom of God look like and what they are all about. And really, as we look at them, we see that the examples that Jesus gives, they're really, well, they're inferior. They're kind of the lowest level of society. The verses just before, from 1 to 8, we read about this widow, this persistent widow, this deep woman of prayer. And and Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is is like this woman. That's who the kingdom belongs to, to widows. We see after our text that I just read, we see those beautiful verses that many of you know where Jesus says, let the little children come to me. The kingdom of God are for those who have faith like a child. We go on to then read about the rich young ruler, a man of power and wealth, and Jesus says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You will be part of the kingdom of heaven if you give and surrender all that you have. That's what the kingdom of God, people of the kingdom, that's what we look like. 
And then we have our own text where we see this Pharisee and tax collector. And we need to understand that the Pharisee was a religious leader of the day. Yet all these examples that Jesus is giving of widows and tax collectors and children and people that give up everything. That's who the kingdom of God is for. Yet we read about this Pharisee. We're quick to judge him. And as I looked a little more closely at the prayer, you know, this prayer actually wasn't that bad, he prayed. In many ways, it's a beautiful prayer. And we need to keep in mind also the people that Jesus is speaking to and what they're expecting and what they're understanding as he speaks because we're we're removed from it a few thousand years. But listen to this prayer. I thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I thank you that I'm not unjust. I thank you that I'm not an adulterer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer because it doesn't appear as if he's giving praise to himself. He's thanking God, thank you that your grace in my life has made it so where I am a faithful husband, where I'm not taking advantage of it. There is nothing wrong. That's a beautiful prayer. And Jesus knew that those hearing this this, uh, parable, he knew they would say, well, that's, that's the way we're taught to pray. That's the way we're taught to pray. So he says, thank you for the grace you have given to me in my life that I am not living in that way. He then, he's a man of spiritual disciplines. We talk about the importance of having spiritual disciplines in our life, of praying and devotion and and fasting and prayer. And he's doing it. I fast twice a week. I give all my, I give tithes to the poor and all that I get. Well, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And if he's giving praise to God for that, meaning if he's giving praise to God by saying, the fact that I even want to give, that's grace. That's grace. If you are willing to give what little you may have financially, or if you're willing to serve and care for another person, though it requires much of your time, that's not to glorify you. You need to recognize that that in itself, that you can make that decision that you want to give, that in itself is grace. So maybe this Pharisee, you know, there are some things in his life that we must not throw all Pharisees under the bus too soon. The problem is, however, is when he compares himself. The the sin, if you will, when he says, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Tax collectors were viewed... uh, were not highly viewed, and the reason was they often took advantage of people. If there was an injustice uh, in society, then it was often led by tax collectors. Tax collectors were hired by the government to collect taxes, whether that was on the roads or farmland or whatever it may be, but there was no regulation on how much they could take, meaning if, if one landowner owned a certain amount of money, it was the tax collector's responsibility to certainly get that amount of money, but then he could charge any amount he wanted above and beyond that and it would be for him. And that was the routine practice of the day. So all these people hearing this parable that Jesus is saying, knowing that tax collectors are the ones that are abusing us, that are uh, unjust in so many ways and are basically robbing us. So we have this religious leader and this tax collector and Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is for people like this man. And the Pharisee compares himself to him. Thank you that I am not like this tax collector, the way he views and the way he he looks at his life. I couldn't help but think of that passage of scripture we hear often in weddings. What's the text that's often read in weddings? What what, what chapter? 1 Corinthians, the love chapter, right? We hear that over and over again. I married a couple, a a few, uh, maybe it was two years ago now, and they said, whatever you do, don't read 1 Corinthians 13, please, I'll throw up. 
And I said, that's fine, you know, that's fine. And I said, I, I understand that because it's read a lot. You know, there's, and I said, you know, there's often a reason why I think people miss something. We don't mention it before we read that text, that to love in the way that Paul is calling us to love in that text requires the grace of God in our life. We can't do it on our own. And I think often when we read that text in weddings, we're thinking, this is who I should be as a spouse. And I'm saying, you can't be that way as a spouse apart from Christ in your life and in your marriage. You need Christ to be the center of your marriage. So this Pharisee, he could understand, if he could understand all things and if he had all wisdom and if he had the faith to move mountains, whether because of his spiritual disciplines or his tithing or the fact that he's not like other men, if he had all these things... But had not love, he is nothing. He is nothing. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is not for these. So then we have this tax collector. He goes in to pray, and usually prayer at the temple, the people would understand that Jesus is telling this parable, you go in with your head lifted and your hands raised, and you pray to God. Where he stood, we see that the Pharisee is standing by himself, but we see the tax collector stood at a distance, far off. Maybe he, just, maybe he just entered the doorway and stayed at the back and didn't want to go near anyone, too ashamed, too embarrassed. His posture, he bowed his head and beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We know nothing else about him. We don't know what his business practices were like. We don't know what spiritual disciplines he participated in like we know about the Pharisee. We just know he entered the temple of God, beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How quickly we as committed followers of Christ, committed religious people, and maybe even religious leaders, how quickly we dismiss others. And Jesus tells us, that's not what my kingdom is about. John Nolan from the Word Biblical Commentary writes this, The easy dismissal of all others is less acceptable to God than the genuine appeal for mercy on the part of the tax collector. The easy dismissal of others is less acceptable to God than the genuine appeal for mercy on the part of the tax collector. Uh, last week, as you know, many of us went on fusion trips. A group went to Toronto, and a group went to D.C., and our group went to Mississippi, and the group going to Mississippi was looking at the issue of racial reconciliation and uh, met some phenomenal civil rights leaders. Uh, we went to a worship service one Sunday night and a man sitting just, a, just across from me, I was sitting on one side of the sanctuary, he's sitting on the other, and I didn't know this until after he left, it was actually a historic man, maybe he was in his 70s now, maybe a little younger, I didn't know who he was at the time, but he was the, the first man ever to integrate Mississippi State University. We just had the privilege of just being in the same worship uh, setting with him as um, we worshiped in this beautiful church. But one pastor we met was a man by the name of C.J. Rhodes. He's the pastor of Mount Helm Baptist Church. It was on Wednesday evening, and we went to his church. He pastors the oldest African-American church in all of Mississippi. I think we have a picture of him there. Uh, 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 pastor Rhodes is the one on the left. 
A bright and very sharp man, graduate of Duke Divinity School, um, decides to go back to Mount Helm Baptist Church. Uh, the community is basically deserted. Homes are burnt out. It's just destroyed. With this passion for reconciliation between Mississippi whites and Mississippi blacks. Passion for it. But the quote that really stood out to me, and something he said to me that's really just stayed with me, and I think will continue to, goes along this passage as I was preparing it on the plane ride home and again digging into this text for the first time. Um, he talked to the importance of how we can learn from others and if we separate ourselves from someone else or if we think that we are better than another person, we miss the blessing, we miss uh, uh, the growth that we can come to if we're breaking relationships with others. And he says, so I need to tell you something. And I'm not quoting him exactly, but I know it was along these lines. I have a lot to learn from that uneducated grandmother with three teeth that can't even read. I have a lot to learn from her. And Mount Helm Baptist Church has a lot to learn from her. I think that beautifully articulates what happens when we dismiss because the uneducated or, or, or not as smart as us or don't have a college degree like us, we dismiss them and we miss. We miss what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. We miss to recognize that other people are part of the kingdom of God. And in the examples that Jesus is giving, it's really for the inferior. So pay attention to them. They have a word for you. So as I was looking up the church website just to make sure I had Reverend Rhodes' name right and looking up some information, I realized uh, he used to work for an organization called Mission Mississippi. And after I read a little bit about Mission Mississippi last night, I could understand his passion and I could see why this beautiful man of God had so powerfully and poignantly uh, is on point for where he's going in ministry. He's been asked to run for political office in Jackson, he's been, but he wants to pastor this church and, and represent the church and zoning meetings and, and to make sure gentrification doesn't take place and all of these things representing his community. But Mission Mississippi's uh, statement is changing Mississippi one relationship at a time. Their mission statement, to encourage and demonstrate unity in the body of Christ across racial and denominational lines so that communities throughout Mississippi can better understand the gospel message. So communities can better understand the gospel message. When we belittle another person because of their education level, because they are part of a conservative or liberal or fundamentalist or progressive, when we belittle them, when we dismiss them, the gospel of Jesus Christ suffers. Advancing God's kingdom like we're called to do suffers because we are allowing our own sin to get in the way of what God wants to do through us. Cross racial and denominational lines so that communities throughout Mississippi can better understand the gospel message. You see, we have a lot to learn from others. That doesn't mean that we won't have disagreements. That won't mean that we have important issues that we must discuss and even debate. But how we deal with those issues is just as important as the issues themselves. I want to say it again because it's very important. How we talk about, how we work through our disagreements is just as important as the issues themselves. Just as important. 
God wants to use all of us to advance his kingdom. And when we dismiss other Christian brothers and sisters because they're from a certain cultural background or an economic status or a certain theological background, when we dismiss them, the gospel suffers. And as I was reflecting upon that, I started thinking corporately. Not just for us personally, but then I started thinking about our churches. And uh, me as a chaplain or as pastors. How I hope that we are not communities of the Christian faith that are living this way. It's bad enough when there's just one of us living this way. But when an entire church is living that way. When an entire denomination is living that way. When an entire Christian college is living that way. I know there is no such thing as big and little sins. But I can't think of anything worse than hurting the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be a contributor to that. We felt it a little bit. I felt it a little bit just in Mississippi. Some days we had other colleges come and work with us. And we had Wheaton College one day working with us. And another one called, um, uh, from North Carolina, Asheville College, I think. And uh, we could feel like a little tension between the groups because, you know, like, well, oh, all right, Wheaton College, like the Harvard of the Christian College, we get it, all right, you guys go do what you, what you want to do, but uh, just so you know, we're friends with John Perkins, you're our guest today, just so you know. <laughs> and it was, and then there was this one point where this young man from Asheville actually brought up a very good point about Christian community development and how it's changing is, should we change how we view Christian community development? Should we change our perspective of how times have changed? And, and all of us felt like he was attacking our good friend John Perkins, so all of a sudden we're defensive, like, Yo, who does that guy think he is? Yeah, there, thank you, Sydney. <laughs> and I realized, I don't know if it was the Lord convicted me, or I guess it was, because I realized, you know what, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And here we're getting a little, all right, maybe it's just me, I won't say it was any of the students, but getting a little defensive. Getting a little, you know, territorial. And so I give that small example. And we then invited, just so you know, just to quit, we invited them into our home, had lunch with them, bought them drinks, and it was actually a very beautiful day. It was a good day. But take that small example and make it bigger. And the gospel really does suffer. Because we view each other as competitors instead of supporting one another. We don't realize that Christ has called us to work and move and journey together. And we don't want to do that because they are liberal or conservative or emergent or concerned or fundamentalist. Whatever it may be, and we dismiss. Please don't let that be your heart. Please don't look down on anyone because they are not at the same level as you are as far as education. Many people have not had the opportunity to earn an education. All glory, all honor, all praise to you. The fact that you were even able to earn a college education, all glory and all honor and all praise to God that you even have such an opportunity. So for you to then look at others as less than, whether it is that grandmother with three teeth that can barely read, to look upon her as less than is sin. And it's hurting the gospel moving forward. A statement I've said many times, and I think I'll continue to say it, we must, 
we must be critical in our thinking. That's one of the reasons why you're here at school and you're going to talk about these issues and these theologies and churches and denominations that I spoke of. That will come up in your, in your discussion. That will come up in the classroom and it's important that it does come up here. We need to learn to be critical in our thinking and that's what your professors are leading you through and teaching you. It's so important. We must be critical in our thinking but we cannot be critical in our spirit. And there is a big difference. There is a big difference. We must be critical in our thinking, but not be critical in our spirit. Because if we get a degree, if we get uh, to go on mission trips, if we have a good devotional life, if we're part of the Finkbeiner fast, or the uh, Finkbeiner eat someplace else, or if we're part of the uh, 30-day famine, if we're part of all of that, if we attend chapel all semester, if we attend church regularly, but have not love. But have not love for the church on the other side of the tracks, from the other country, from the other theological tradition. If we have not love, we are nothing. We must be critical in our thinking, but not critical in our spirit. If you were to leave ENC, being critical in your spirit, belittling and demeaning other Christian brothers and sisters. We have not only failed you, we have sinned. So let us be a community of reconciliation. Let us be a community of love, not only across cultural boundaries. Let's just break down those boundaries. Not just across theological or economic. Let's break those down and truly love and care for one another. Because we can do all those things, but if we have not love, we are nothing. God wants to use your life to advance His kingdom. God wants to use your life to advance His kingdom, whether that's dealing with issues of poverty or the sex trafficking trade, whether that's in the education system and He has called you to be a teacher or an engineer or a scientist or a businessman or woman. God wants to use your life to advance His kingdom. Don't allow your own insecurities. Don't allow your own jealousy. Don't allow your own pride. Don't allow your own self-centeredness to get in the way of what God wants to do through your life. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of reversals. It's upside down, really, right? Jesus tells us the kingdom of God, the last shall be first. The kingdom of God tells us that it's in giving that we receive. We are called to be the people of God. And so like this tax collector, maybe there are some, some of us here today that as we continue this Lenten journey just have to pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. For it was the tax collector who went home justified. Let us pray. All glory, all honor, all praise to you. If we've done anything good, Lord God, it's all because of your grace. What do we have that has not been given to us? May we be faithful for all that you've given us, Lord. This opportunity to earn an education, may we be faithful with that. 
May we humbly, humbly earn this education and use it for your glory and for your honor, giving you all praise. May we be a community of reconciliation and justice and grace and mercy and salvation. Be glorified in all that we do, we pray. May we never think it is about us. May we never look at another person and say, well, at least I'm not like them. But may we look to them and see the beauty of God in their life and be blessed because of it. Be honored, be glorified, we pray, in all that we do and say. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed. Have a great weekend. Go in peace.